This is Susan Wallner for Jersey Arts the Podcast. Today I'm talking with Tim Basson, lecturer in theater and dance in the Lewis Center for the Arts at Princeton University. Tim is the director of a new production of two related Greek plays at McCarter's Berlin Theater called Troy After and Before. This production is the outcome of a remarkable journey that took Tim and his students to Greece last spring. But more about that later. First, Tim, can you tell me why the title Troy After and Before? The two plays that we're doing are separate tragedies written about 50 years apart by two different playwrights. There's The Agamemnon by Aeschylus and Iphigenia at Aulis by Euripides. And like almost half, I think, of the existing Greek plays deal with the Trojan War in some way or another. That was their great central myth from you know the Homer stories and all of that. And um, so the Agamemnon tells the story of the homecoming from at the end of 10 years of war. That play was written first, 50 years earlier. And, and we decided we wanted to sort of stick with that and do the later play in the second half, even though the later play is about the origins of the Troy. Well, not the origins, but the Greek army right before it goes off to Troy. So the two plays sort of bookend that experience, and they do it in backwards chronological order, but in forwards order in terms of maybe the development of drama. And so we wanted to, to find a structure in which we could look at a society that had been damaged by this long, protracted, perhaps pointless war, and then go back and ask, well, how did a society get into that? How did they get themselves into that? And what was it like before they went? So it's sort of like a flashback. Yes, right. And it involves the same characters. Um, it involves the House of Atreus and Agamemnon and his wife Clytemnestra and their daughter Iphigenia. Are, uh, well, Iphigenia is only a character in one of the plays, but Clytemnestra and Agamemnon are, of course, in both the plays. And these would all be um, stories that the audience would know and would appreciate the different ways of telling. Absolutely. They would know them backward and forward. They knew their Homer. They knew, the, they knew their mythology. And, of course, it was their religion. So, you know, there was also all of the gods and goddesses invoked in the plays. There are, you know, actual temples all, all around them dedicated to these various gods and goddesses. So it was very much, they were, yes, they were using incredibly familiar material. And so what they went to see, I think, had to do in some ways with the variations on that material, the sort of surprising twist, the, 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 the new emphasis. So for instance, in the Iliad, um, I don't think Homer really deals with the fact that Clytemnestra kills Agamemnon. Uh, in revenge for the fact that he had to kill his daughter Iphigenia to start the Trojan War. Or maybe it gets a bit of a footnote. I think Odysseus goes down to the underworld and uh, Agamemnon basically tells him to beware of you know, angry wives when you come home. So, but um, Aeschylus took that little shard of the myth and, and expanded it out into this huge three-plays cycle, the Oresteia, which is really the only trilogy that we have all three parts of. So tell me, how did you first um, get into these ancient Greek plays, and, and what made you decide to do a production? They were forever, for me, sort of the theatrical equivalent of castor oil. It was something that was sort of good for you, something that you kind of had to do, but wasn't necessarily very pleasant. They seemed distant and alien and incredibly formal. Um, and yet, they're the, you know, they're the origin of theater. So they all, I think for anybody who does theater, they hang out there as this challenge. Can they work in the modern world? What could you do with a Greek play? So much is based on what those people innovated that it's, you know, from it's just been kicking around in the back of my mind for decades that I should try my hand at this at some point. Um, 
And we were approached in the theater program by a small program at Princeton called Hellenic Studies. And their mission in life is to deal with Greece as its ancient culture and also its contemporary culture and everything that happened in between. And they're, they're a pretty small academic program. They have a rather large amount of resources and routinely send classes over to the ancient Greek world and to the modern Greek world, art history type classes, archaeology and all that. And this was their first venture in the theater. And they thought we, you know, we would like to get actors and directors involved in going to Athens and visiting these ancient theaters and trying to come to a more visceral understanding of these plays as plays. We, we think of them as history. We think of them as literature. But, but what was wonderful about being over there and actually standing in the theaters and, and speaking out loud with their famous acoustics and looking around and seeing the sights is that you, I, I could begin to understand these people as theater artists. They were playwrights. They were actors. They were trying to make the maximum effect with the minimum resources like we all do. And um, it started to feel a little bit less alien and a little bit more like something that we could make a contribution to by restaging. So here you had a um, group of students who had been reading plays and acting, acting out the plays, and you were all in Greece. What happened? Well, like, what was, can you remember something that made you feel like this was worth the trip? There were a couple of really amazing moments. Um, one, we were at Delphi, which was uh, the, the, the site where the oracle of Delphi was. It was actually sort of, like, I guess, kind of the equivalent of a, of a pollster of the ancient world. Uh, leaders and countries and cities, if, if they had any major decision to make, they actually would go to Delphi to ask what to do. And so it's this very powerful site. It's, it's in a valley, and there's, there's steep hills up on, on all sides. And you really do feel a sense that there's some kind of force in this place. And they have a theater there. And actually, that theater was um, one of the first ones that was excavated. And in the 50s, I think, they did a production of Aeschylus's Prometheus Bound that, as far as I know, was the first Greek tragedy to be performed in Greece in over 2,000 years. That kind of began this whole idea of, actually, these are plays, and we can do them. And so um, one of our students, uh, a woman named Dominique, um, who's a trained opera singer, was standing in the middle of the space, and she began to sing. And the Greeks are very protective of behavior at these sites. They don't want people goofing around. They, there's guards all over the place that, you know, they're kind of hilarious, but they're always shushing people and telling people to stop. And so there was a guard up on that, and she started to sing, and she sang the Ave Maria. And she has a beautiful voice, and it's just, you know, at first, the first thing that happened was this guard came out, and he started shaking his fingers at her, like, stop, 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 stop. And then when he realized the beauty of the music and how it was bouncing off the walls and everything, he began to, the, 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 the pointing fingers became a conductor's baton, and he started conducting. And we all just stopped, and it's like everything stopped, and we just sort of listened to this beautiful utterance in this outdoor stone, gorgeous space. And I just thought, okay, well, we can't bring our audiences to that. But we can take the power of that experience, of the, um, the way in which those theaters focused the voice and focused the body and elevated it, because what they were trying to do was tell larger-than-life stories. And just all of those things kind of started to make sense to me and I think to the students as well, that this was material that we could step into, even though it was so long ago and so far away. What have you and your students seen as being particularly modern about these plays? Have there been things that stood out to you as being like really perfect for now? 
Absolutely. Well, the first thing, and this was part of the course, is figuring this out, is that all of these plays, in addition to being about the Trojan War, were written during the time of the Peloponnesian War, which was a great 27-year-long war between Athens and Sparta that at the end of it leads to Athens' downfall. The Athenian democracy is gone. That whole era of the, the great plays and the philosophers and the democracy and all that goes away from Athens and does not come back for millennia. So while they were... In this struggle in which a democracy voted over and over and over again to go to war for reasons that nobody really could fully figure out, and they kept making bad decisions after, doesn't this sound familiar? After <laughs> bad decisions, these playwrights were writing play after play about the Trojan War, in which this huge army goes to war to rescue a woman for reasons that people don't quite determine. They think they're going to have a really easy time and shock and awe those Trojans, and they're there for 10 years, and most of them die, and the ones that don't die, almost all of them die on the way back because the gods have been angered by this, so they punish them. And then the ones that do come home get killed by their vengeful wives for having gone off to war in the first place. So absolutely, this is a, these are plays about you know, what it means to be a society involved in a protracted and controversial war. So those issues have been screaming out at us. And, and, and really that has, even though we don't make any explicit references to that in the production, I think that's one of the animating ideas of the production is to look at you know, a late stage of a long, debilitating, pointless war, and then to go back and ask the question, how did this start? What is it about humanity that makes us make these mis tragic mistakes over and over and over again? And I think the Euripides' play, the Iphigenia, really delves very deeply into that. You know, part of what happens to Iphigenia, I don't see it, her death as, as ennobling at all. I see it as terrifying. I think she's basically a teenager who gets it in her head that you know she's on it. She's gets a little goth. She's on this death trip. It, it seems like a really glorious, great, and exciting things to do. What's really going to happen is she's going to get laid out on, on an altar. Somebody's going to cut her throat. She's going to bleed to death. It's not. There's nothing glorious about that in my mind at all. But in or you know, it the, the, her father, the army, the whole situation makes it necessary for young people to feel like. It is the only choice to make, which is to willingly give your life and, and be a hero and be a martyr and be remembered long after your death. And then Clytemnestra as the mother in this play, sort of like the Cindy Sheehan figure almost. She's the, the only one pulling against that, and she's in mourning, and she's enraged. And then you go to the, to the Agamemnon 10 years later, and she takes revenge for that. I know that you have two uh, different translators. Yeah, that's in and of itself a really fantastic Princeton story. Uh, of course, Robert Fagel is the great classics professor, longtime professor at Princeton and translator of the Iliad, the Odyssey, the Aeneid, the Oristia, you know, just really probably the preeminent American translation of these of a lot of classic plays and texts. Um, he, his translation of the Oristia, which I think was done in the 70s, is definitely the gold standard, certainly for American English. Um, and he passed away last spring. And so we had already known that we were going to do, you know, work with his, some of his translation because it's poetic and wonderful and also we wanted there to be a tribute. And um, Lucas Barron is a current senior at Princeton. And in, in his sophomore year, he did a translation of Euripides' Hippolytus, another very strange Euripides play for a student thesis project, and I thought it was wonderful. So I asked him to translate for this project, and he agreed to. So we have this kind of torch passing that goes on. Of the, you know, the first play, Agamemnon, is you know, by the late great translator of the past 30 or 40 years. And then the next one is a current Princeton undergraduate who you know, may or may not choose to make a life as a translator of ancient texts, but has that ability and that passion and that skill and has come up with a play that sounds really, really different than Fagel's, which I like because I wanted it to feel like two different plays because they are. 
two different writers, two different sensibilities, but something that I think really gets at the heart of the audacity and strangeness and sort of the the radical that I think Euripides was. Hmm. So that part of it is very exciting. And then Lucas is also in the play because he's one of the actors and was one of the members of this class. So very. that's been kind And of so great. this has been quite a quite a journey. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming sure. today, Tim. And uh, Troy, after and before, runs from November 14th through the 22nd at the McCarter Theater Center's Berlin Theater. For more information, visit jerseyarts.com. I'm Susan Wollner for Jersey Arts, the podcast. Jersey Arts, the podcast is a production of State of the Arts. Watch it on NJN Public Television, Fridays at 8.30 p.m. and Wednesdays at 11.30 p.m. Individual stories can be seen anytime on njn.net. The New Jersey State Council on the Arts is proud to co-produce State of the Arts. The New Jersey State Council on the Arts, encouraging excellence in the arts since 1966. Additional support was provided by the Geraldine R. Dodge Foundation, supporting cultural, educational, and environmental initiatives that make our world